Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Light Join of with the me East now is as we also look supported the by of the Eastern East. Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. You've heard of questions and answers, Q&A, after oftentimes presentations by speakers or groups or classes and so on. Well, today we're going to make it questions and errors, not questions and answers. We're going to try to answer or address many commonly held misconceptions or errors about the Eastern churches in relation to the Western churches and also answer some questions as well. But before I get to that, and as you know, in our program, we are dedicated to unity between the churches, the lungs of the church, East and West, which means that sometimes a message applies to all, the whole church, East and West. And before we get into our questions and errors, I would like to address something to all of the church, East and West. As many of you know, it's already been happening. There are times of voting coming up or already have happened in various states across our country. And one of the hot issues is whether a particular state in our United States will allow abortion to be the way of that state. In other words, whether it will be legal or illegal. And I'm addressing this issue because it is, first of all, very critical, but also because there are a lot of well-meaning people, even people who are pro-life, and I think even people who are otherwise dedicated Catholics, who may have a little bit of concern or waffling on this issue. That concern is that, well, if we make abortion illegal in my particular state or in any state or across the country, what about a woman whose life is in danger? because of her pregnancy. In other words, there's something going wrong, or she has what's called an ectopic pregnancy. In other words, where the baby does not form in the right place within her body, but in the fallopian tube, which is life-threatening usually to a mother. And so a lot of well-meaning people will vote to allow abortion to be illegal because of that particular concern. I want to ease that concern by very simply explaining this. If a woman's life is in danger, I mean truly in danger, 
because of things like an ectopic pregnancy or what other medical condition, the church approves of saving the mother's life. But here is the difference, though. It's a very important difference. So I hope you're listening carefully. And please pass this message on, especially to a lot of your maybe young adult children or young people. The difference is this. In saving the mother's life, the baby in the womb may die. But the difference is the baby is not actively killed to save the mother's life. The result may be that the child dies in the womb as a result of the life-saving surgery that she may have to undergo or whatever procedure. And again, I'm talking about rare and very specific cases. This is not just, well, she's oftentimes has trouble in pregnancy, so she is pregnant now, and that could be dangerous to her, so maybe she should have an abortion. We're not talking about that. We're talking about immediate threat to health of the mother, immediate, urgent, and real threat to the health of the mother, life-threatening, not just threat to health, life-threatening. So it's very razor-focused here, and so is what I am proposing as an explanation, the difference. The difference is razor-sharp. In no case, in no way, do we ever actively kill a human being, especially an innocent human being in the womb. A person may die as a result of an unfortunate result of something, but it's not the intention that that person die, and it certainly is not the intention that it be actively killed. In other words, you don't kill the baby to save the mother's life. You save the mother's life in the process, the baby may die. But at the same time, you also do whatever is medically possible to the nth degree to save the baby, basically to save all lives. So we should not fear that women who are in that situation, which again is rare and very specific. I can't emphasize that enough. It is rare and very specific. We do not have to worry. We do not have to doubt the church's teaching on this. And therefore, we do not have to vote in our respective states, to keep abortion legal for that exception. So you always want to make it an exception. Well, the exception, as we can see, becomes very much than the norm, the rule, rather than the exception. Exception means just that. But there is no exception. There is no exception to killing, actively killing a human being. Even in times of war or in times of, say, a police action where there's shootings and so on, the intent is still not to kill. The intent in war or in the action of policemen, law enforcement, is to stop the aggression, stop the aggressor. The point is not to kill. Killing may occur as the byproduct or the default of stopping the aggression. I hope that's very clear. Sometimes we think, well, in war, we're justified in killing. No. In war, the intent is to stop the aggression. If, for instance, an army could point guns at the enemy, and the guns are so much more powerful and effective than the enemy's guns, the hope is that the enemy will drop their guns, and no one will be killed, and the war will be over. That is the intent. The intent is not to actively kill another human being. So, there is never a case, never, when a human being should be killed. Stopped in an aggressive action? Yes which may result in killing, but is never the intent. So that is a defining principle, and I hope that is very clear. And in this, I'm trying to address not only confusion, but also errors. 
And I lead off the program with that because it pertains, it is relevant to everyone, especially people who are Catholic and Orthodox Christians, because we alone have the full understanding, the full articulation of the sanctity of life. No one else has it, as do the Orthodox and Catholic traditions. But now, speaking of errors and questions, I'm going to address some of the commonly held questions and also errors regarding the Eastern Catholic churches and in relation to the Western lungs of the church. First of all, the question is, are Eastern Catholics Catholic? Believe it or not, even though we're called Eastern Catholic, that oftentimes gets doubted or people aren't really absolutely sure because their understanding of Catholic is largely the Latin Rite. Now, the Latin Rite is the largest, by far, the largest rite of the Catholic Church, but it is nonetheless still just one of the rites of the Catholic Church. Sometimes you refer to it as Roman Catholic, but to be specific, Roman Catholic should really be referred to as Latin Rite of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman means not Latin Rite. Roman refers to centered in Rome. The Church as we know it, which we call Catholic, which has its center in Rome. That's why we call it the Roman Catholic Church. But within the Roman Catholic Church, in other words, those churches united to the Pope of Rome, who is in Rome, of course, among those churches, there are different rites. The largest is Latin rite, most of the time associated with what is Catholic. And any rite that's different than that, there's oftentimes a doubt whether, well, that's is that Catholic? Because it's not like how I am as a Latin Catholic, and that's largely a person's perception. That's largely by default, because the Latin Rite is so much greater in size than the Eastern churches, than all the Eastern Rites. But not in every area of the world. In some areas of the world, the Eastern Rites would actually be larger in number than the Latin Rite. But for the most part, the Latin Rite is much, much larger in population, profile, and so on than the Eastern Rites. So never doubt that the Eastern Catholic traditions are, in fact, fully Catholic. In fact, we're so Catholic that we shed blood out of loyalty, not only to the gospel, but to the Pope of Rome. And this happened in my particular church in Eastern and Central Europe under Soviet communism. Our Eastern Catholic bishops were told by the communists, if you disavow the Pope, leave the Catholic Church, break from it, join the Orthodox Church here in Russia, then everything will be good for you. Our bishops courageously did not accept that. They remained faithful to the Pope of Rome, and they shed their blood as a result of it. So yes, we are very Catholic, very faithful in that regard, and also to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. So never doubt that Eastern Catholic churches are fully Catholic. And on that note, that brings me to another question. Yes, if you are Latin right, and you attend an Eastern Rite liturgy on a Sunday, if you're doing that because you want to experience it, or there's no Latin Rite church near you, or you're traveling, or whatever reason, that does satisfy your obligation. And as long as you're a Catholic in good standing with the church, you may receive Holy Communion at that Eastern Catholic liturgy. So it's all purely Catholic. You satisfy your obligation, and you may go to Holy Communion at the Eastern Catholic liturgy. Many people ask me, well, when did you decide to become Byzantine? And that implies that you become Latin Rite first, or you're born that way, then you choose Byzantine later on. But I was born a Byzantine Catholic, born and raised 
in a Byzantine Catholic tradition, a Byzantine Catholic family, just as many of you had been born and raised Latin Rite. If you're of Irish descent, Italian descent, etc., you more than likely you were born and raised into the Latin Rite. Now, many of you listening could have been converts to it, but many were born and raised in it. So I was born and raised in the Byzantine Rite. People can be born and raised in the respective rites of the church. They don't start out Latin and then become Eastern afterwards or as some kind of a choice and so on. Now, they can do that or vice versa. You can be born and raised in Eastern Rite and become formerly Latin Rite as well. Hopefully that clears up a little bit, but we're going to look at some more questions later. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you I'm Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Kostka, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago. And you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we're answering some questions and errors here on our program today. But I also want to give a certain salute to many Latin Rite Catholics. I'll let you in on a little secret, a little bit of update or news. During the high point of COVID, and for most of it, as many churches and many dioceses had various policies about closing churches and how well and what ways the people might be served by the church, the priests, and so on. During all that, as we were feeling our way through it, Many of our Eastern churches became a place of refuge for many Latin Rite Catholics because in their diocese, maybe the rules, the regulations for COVID were pretty strict, and these faithful Latin Rite Catholics did not have access to confession, anointing of the sick, mass, priests, etc. In other words, they didn't have access to the life of their church as much as they would have liked or would have needed. So they searched around. 
And many of them found, for the first time, the Eastern Catholic churches, the Eastern Rites. And most of the Eastern Rite churches, their policies during the height of the COVID uh, saga were, for the most part, not quite as strict as in many Latin Rite dioceses because it's a different situation. Well, many of these Latin Rite Catholics found a place in my own parish, not only mine, but other Eastern Rite parishes as well. Many of them came as a temporary measure, as we were kind of an oasis for them, a kind of a spiritual oasis. Some of them stayed for a while, returned to the Latin Rite parishes, and some of them stayed completely, permanently. In fact, some even did a formal change of rite. I just want to salute those Latin Rite Catholics because when they came to us and we were there for them, they were very generous to our parishes. Sometimes I think it was the cream of the Latin Rite crop that came to our parishes because these Latin Rite Catholics were very serious about prayer, about church. They adapted very well. They respected our tradition, although it was different than theirs. They became incorporated into it, enculturated into it in their own way. Some of them, as I mentioned, went back to their Latin Rite, which is fine. It was great. Some of them stayed with us. Some of them made even formal changes of Rite. But we appreciate what they did while they were here and those that have come and stayed. In fact, we were so appreciative that spontaneously, some of my cantors who are Byzantine Rite, and they canter a Byzantine Rite chant, they actually started to break into some of the very, very popular and venerable hymns of the Latin Rite, especially the Marian hymns, you know, Salve Regina and so on, at the end of liturgy. They did that spontaneously because in their hearts, in our hearts, we were thankful and appreciative of the respect that our Latinite brethren show to our Byzantine rite and how they were supportive of us and how they were they made great contributions to our church in every way. And so I just want to mention that to you. Again, it's the beauty of how the church can work east and west. And I appreciate it as a pastor, those Latin rite Catholics who came to us, whether temporarily or permanently, because they were all wonderful. They were all respectful and generous and supportive, and it was just great having them. As I, as I mentioned, sometimes I think we got the cream of the crop of other Latin Rite bishops faithful, <laughs> because that's, that's how kind and that's how serious they were about our church, about prayer and liturgy. And I just think I need to acknowledge that, because as you know, our program is so dedicated to unity between East and West. First, unity within our own churches of the, those who are Catholic, East and West, but also between Catholic and the Orthodox churches. And this was a wonderful sign of the unity of the churches and the, the depth and the breadth of what the church can offer, that you can still find a place of respite or a new home or whatever within the rites of the church. If there's something that seems to be missing either for a while or permanently, you can go to another rite of the church, and maybe you'll find it there. That we don't proselytize. We don't tell people, oh, come from your rite to our church. We don't do that. In fact, you're not allowed to do that. I would never do that. I admire everyone being faithful to their own rite. But indeed, if they have found a spiritual home in another rite of the church, then that needs to be honored and, and encouraged, and it needs to be enriched because this is a choice a person made for their spiritual growth. That brings you to another question or error, and that is this idea of change of rite. If you're Latin rite and you're going to an Eastern rite church, maybe you decide to go there 
permanently or continue going, do you have to make a formal change of right from Latin to, for example, Byzantine? No, you don't have to. And you'd be entitled to all the sacraments, everything that any other Byzantine parishioner would be entitled to. You may make a formal change of right, and that comes into play when it comes into the situations of like marriage or vocation. For example, if a Latin Rite Catholic is attending a Byzantine church, and maybe he's doing it for a few years, and he feels called, for instance, if it's a male, he feels called to the priesthood, and he wants to answer that call in the Byzantine church, then he would have to make a formal change of right, would actually have to become Byzantine right in order to be ordained. So the change of right comes into play for those kinds of things, or it could just be a family or person just wants that sort of peace of mind that I'm all in. I'm attending this church. I want to become in every way totally a Byzantine right Catholic. It works the other way too. Eastern right Catholics may feel that this is what they want to be all in with, the Latin rite, and so they can make a formal change of rite as well. It happened to a priest that I know of. In fact, actually, it was my cousin. His father was Byzantine rite. His mother was Latin rite. But he found his vocation in the Latin rite of the church. So before he became a wonderful Latin rite priest, he had to first make a formal change of rite and become fully Latin rite. So that's where the changes come in. You don't have to do that, though, to receive all the sacraments. And sometimes Latin Rite Catholics don't do that because they they feel that they don't want to make a total break from their spiritual heritage, their heritage of their Latin Rite, but they are finding a home in the Byzantine Church. And others feel they want to make a complete all-in kind of move, so they apply for a formal change of rite. It's a relatively easy process. What you do is you write a letter to the, the Eastern Rite Bishop, if you're Latin Rite and you're changing to Eastern Rite, you write a formal letter explaining that you want to change rites and why you want to do that. You don't make it very lengthy. Just explain to them, the bishop, that this is for your spiritual good, I mean, of you and of your family or your marriage or just you yourself. The pastor then of the Eastern Rite Parish also writes a letter recommending that I know this person, I think they're sincere and so on. He writes a letter to the bishop as well. You supply a record of your baptismal record, a recent copy of her baptismal record, all that gets sent to the Eastern Rite Bishop. From there, the Eastern Rite Bishop then sends it to the Latin Rite Bishop so that he can give permission to turn you over, as it were, to the Eastern Rite Church. So the Eastern Rite Bishop will say, okay, I can accept these people, but we want to make sure it's okay with their Latin Rite Bishop because he has jurisdiction over them. And usually they okay this. It's very seldom not accepted. But that's the process, and it's relatively simple. And then when the official document comes in that this person has, in fact, been approved for the change of right, they have to sign that document in the front of two witnesses. That is then sent to the Church of Baptism. So it now records in the baptismal records of the Latin Rite person that they are now Eastern Rite. hope it doesn't sound too complicated. It's actually a fairly simple process as canonical processes go. But it is something that has to be discerned carefully, and something of the church will work with you on. Now, on to other questions. What about this idea that oftentimes Eastern Rite Catholics are referred to, and I'm finding this to be kind of a trend today, it's interesting, they're referred to as Orthodox Catholic. They'll refer to me as, oh, well, you're one of the Orthodox Catholics. They mean large O, not small O. Now, that's interesting because it's not accurate, but there is something accurate about it. 
in that, yes, we do share the same spiritual liturgical tradition as the Orthodox churches, because that's where we came from. Remember, it was just the church east and west in the first thousand years of the history of the church. Then there was a great schism. East and west split from each other. The eastern churches called themselves Orthodox churches. The west called themselves the Roman Catholic Church. Well, that was in 1054 AD. 500 years later, some of the Eastern Orthodox churches began to reunite with the Catholic Church the way it was before the schism. And those are what we know as now the Eastern Catholic Churches. So, of course, they have the same spiritual liturgical heritage as their Orthodox counterparts have because that's where they came from. But you don't call them Orthodox Catholic. They're just Eastern Catholic. Orthodox is to be used only in reference to the actual Orthodox churches, capital O. Now, hopefully, the Eastern Catholic churches are Orthodox, small o, meaning they're faithful to the true teachings of the church, the magisterium of the church. A couple other things we can get to are things like belief in the Virgin Mary, purgatory, the Immaculate Conception, some of those other issues as well, the filioque, but we'll have to reserve that for another time. Hopefully, this has been helpful to clear up some questions and to correct certain errors. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!